Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com. And also make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. It is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you can find podcasts. It is there. New episodes are released every Wednesday. And this podcast has all of the movie reviews, interviews, and geek news that you could ever want. Uh, Also, make sure to vote for this podcast for the Renton City Comic Con Geek Awards. The link will be in the bio. And yeah, you can vote for this podcast in three different categories, questions 8, 9, and 10. So make sure to check that out, uh, and thank you for your support uh, in that endeavor. On this week's episode, I'm joined via Skype, because we could not find a quiet place earlier today, uh, by Tim Hall, the People's Critic. Yeah, not a quiet place like the movie. I don't want to find a place like that. We couldn't find a place (laughs) without a bunch of ambient noise to record. Yes. Gotta be to clarify. <laughs> uh, definitely. So we were, Tim and I both, uh, this weekend, we're at Ace Comic Con here in Seattle. So we definitely are going to be talking a lot about that. And yeah, we normally, with these type of cons, I like to record the episode while we're there. Because then you get some of the energy, everything is fresh in your mind. We looked literally high and low. Uh, we went upstairs to talk to some of the staff to see if there is any sort of room where we could just sit and have a conversation and they just gave us a blank expression. So, hence, we're doing this via Skype. But yeah, so on this episode, we're going to talk about uh, Ace Comic Con, uh, the geek news. There's also going to be an interview with Garib Seamus uh, that is going to be spliced in. I will talk a little bit more about that after the geek news. Uh, and then at the end of the episode, we're going to give our top three films from the Seattle International Film Fest, which is a couple weeks late, but there has been a lot going on. So we'll give our top three picks along with everything else that I just mentioned. So what we'll do right now is get into the original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill-Mannered. That was super weird. Uh, (laughs) I was just really stunted. Uh, The original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, now that I totally nailed uh, that intro and did not stutter at all. This is a great intro. Yeah, yeah, totally nailed it. I mean, again, this is only like the 114th episode. So, you know, still working on it. Uh, okay, so the geek news items that are going on right now. The first one is potentially gigantic. Mainly because gigantic is is not the word I would use. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's gigantic. I would say it's uh, it's a game changer. Yes, I say that much. Yeah, it definitely is a game changer. So what we are talking about is that Fox uh, has been 
we'll say courting some suitors uh, in the industry for the past few months. You know, with th- certain companies basically saying that Fox was for sale and all of these conversations, and then it kind of died out. Nobody talked about it for a couple months, which usually, in a situation like this, means that a lot of conversations are happening behind closed doors, and they just do not want to reveal anything. So, earlier this week, an article came out, and the link is in the description, where Fox is basically uh, really, really close to a deal with Disney, where Disney would buy Fox and all of its assets for $71 billion dollars yeah it's pretty pretty good number like that and so the other player in this in this uh negotiation was comcast which is another gigantic company of course it is right uh comcast's bid or at least one of the latest bids that was reported was 65 billion and disney comes in and says oh that's cute and then raises it by six billion dollars to 71 disney's going for broke like this is kind of part of their plan and their their plan doesn't work without fox so they kind of need fox so in the you know 10 years ago it probably doesn't break down like this but Mm -hmm. since since disney's whole plan is to create a streaming platform it's really difficult for them to compete with netflix and amazon but what how they can compete is if they also have all of Fox's content. So you can pull all of all of that content, Fox, all the Disney content. So we're talking ESPN, mm-hmm. all the Fox movies, all the Disney movies, Star Wars, Marvel, all that stuff off these other platforms and put it all on one platform. When you think about Fox, we're not even talking about films. We're talking about all those TV shows, whether yep. it be X-Files, Married with Children, whatever, right? It's all these shows. You, have, you can just have all that content. I like how you pulled two TV shows from like 1995. But think about it. So, I mean, because people aren't necessarily like looking for the new thing. Like, right. if I, if I, 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 they are at some point. But you know, fans who want to binge watch, I want to binge watch all of X Files mm-hmm. to be able to go to a streaming service and binge watch all of X Files from season one on. Like, it's that kind of stuff that's going to drive people um, to their platform. And that's always been the plan for them. Mm-hmm. You know, last couple of years they've been sort of like shaping everything they're doing around this. This plan to have the streaming platform, but it does not work without content. And Fox is a company that's been around for eons, and they just have a ton of content. And all you have to do is digitize it and allow people to access it, and that's it. You don't have to create a bunch of new content, and the, that content will pay for itself. Yeah, I mean, it's it all going to pay for itself. Yeah, and it was one of those things where Disney kind of started making these moves. I mean. A while ago, especially when it comes to the streaming platforms, when they started pulling things from Netflix and started announcing, you know, their own streaming service. And yeah, yeah, you're totally right. When you have a streaming service like a Netflix, which drops new content, whether it be a new TV series that they are producing or exclusive movies or things like that, plus getting those other TV deals from the old shows that we grew up with. If you're launching a new streaming service, it better have some exclusives. Now, I don't even know if there needs to be exclusive. I think people just need to be able to come and get content. And you have the rights to have that content. Like, I don't know if it has to be exclusive. I mean, there will probably be exclusive Disney content they'll put on their platform. Well, that, but I also uh, mean, like, but the, you know, your ability Fox shows. Like, think of In Living Color. You know, right. they, if they do this, 
they could put up all of In Living Color. You know, so that would be something that would be exclusive because it is not on Netflix. It is not on Hulu or Amazon Video or anything like that. Right. I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying, exclusive doesn't have. I mean, exclusive could be new content. True. But what they're what they're really trying to have is just a a large vault of stuff for people to watch. Mm-hmm. So if I'm asking you to pay fifteen dollars a month, what am I getting for fifteen dollars a month? I'm getting access to all of this stuff, and I think that that's always that was going to be their selling point for whatever price point they're going to try to hit people with. And so, yeah, of course, this, they're going to offer seven, seventy-six billion dollars. Yeah, 70, seventy billion dollars, seventy-one billion with a yes, B. Of like, of course, it will. <laughs> Sheesh. Because, I mean, because that's where we're headed as a culture, right? Ownership, owning the content, owning, owning, um, you know, that the property is, is valuable because mm-hmm. you can do whatever with it. You can do spinoffs of it. You can create newer content. You can show old content. Yeah. You can do whatever. So, yeah, of course, Comcast doesn't have a chance because that was Comcast. That's going to be their end for whatever streaming thing they might want to do. But now it looks like it looks like Disney's going to get it. And, you know, we'll see. I, and I think they're smart enough, much like they were with Star Wars and Marvel is, you know, to keep their to be separate, but own the content. Like, let Fox continue to do what you're doing. Um, there might be some tweaks here and there, but smart enough to let them just continue to create content and they just own it and they can put it wherever they want to put it. Yeah. So again, th- I mean, huge game changer. And of course, I mean, as it pertains to the things that we like, you know, a lot of people are going to be clamoring, you know, for things like maybe now that if this happens, because again, you know, anything could happen. If this happens, right. then you get the opportunity, if you want, to then incorporating Fantastic Four. And that was one of the huge things that people were wanting, or not wanting, but, you know, it would have been pretty amazing at the end of Infinity War, and I will not spoil anything, but for a pager scene to have the Fantastic Four logo, people would have lost their minds. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure at some point there, there's a plan for it if the deal goes through, but, you know, these things, I would, you know, I would bank on it happening immediately, but I'm oh, sure yeah. there's, you know. There's some sort of plan. I'm, I'm sure Kevin Feige is excited to have a bunch of tools to play with. And, mm-hmm. You know, since he was already involved in the earlier X-Men projects over at Fox, I'm sure he's excited to get his hands back on those characters and, you know, do something cool with them. Because he actually would know what to do with them and tell cohesive yeah. stories. And he'd have a plan. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that, that, should be, that should be really interesting. I'm excited for that. Even though I'm not a big fan of corporate monopolies, when it comes to media, I mean, yes, selfishly, there are a lot of things that the, that I could benefit from this, just because it. Would the, be, I don't know how this monopoly looks bad. I don't think like like I would be upset if there were if it was a thing where they just rebranded everything Disney and right. in in sort of dismantled Fox. I just think they're in it for the content business. We're 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 in the content wars, and so whoever has the content is able to drive whatever they want to do with you know selling a streaming platform yeah um, so so yeah, it'll really be very interesting like, I, yeah i definitely will uh we'll keep up on this and yeah they said that there are a lot of people saying that a deal is going to be closed in the next couple of weeks so for yeah. sure uh i will keep things updated because it, it could be very interesting uh next item on the docket so i put on my nostradamus hat months ago some would say 
when it came to MoviePass. And I told people, because people ask me all the time, is MoviePass worth it? Should I get it? And I said, yes, it is absolutely worth it. Get it now, because I have a feeling it might not be around for too much longer until one of the bigger houses like Regal and AMC either swoop in and take it over or come up with their own plan to squash Young Young Movie Pass. So AMC just unveiled their new uh, subscription plan, which is part of the, the AMC Stubbs uh, premier membership. Instead of $9.95 like Movie Pass is, it will be $19.95, but you can use it for any type of movie. So IMAX, uh, 2D, 3D films, all of them. Whereas MoviePass, if you wanted to see a 3D film or wanted to go see like a 4DX or something like that, you had you basically had to pay the difference. Not a big difference, but if your 9.95 MoviePass promotion is there once a m- or for a month, and you have to pay three or four extra dollars to see a 3D movie, it starts to add up pretty quick. So AMC is doing this for 19.95, and I I just I feel like MoviePass has already been hemorrhaging money. AMC, this is their way to kind of show what they can do with their own nationwide chains, or global chains, technically, depending on if they roll this out globally. And then, at some point, I I feel like they're going to make a move on MoviePass, and at least just buy out their customer data, because that is way more important than the actual platform. What do you think about that? Um, we'll see. Um, the 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 only issue they're going to have is it's it's selective to AMC theaters versus True. the movie pass. You can go to different theaters and, you know, you may not have a good AMC theater in your neighborhood or in your city or, you know, in your college town. The, the beautiful thing about movie pass, say there's no AMC in some small college town, um, then what do you do? You still use movie pass to go to whatever theater they have. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, that's it, but it's, it's, it's showing that the, the, the creators of movie pass, those, those guys really had an idea and were forward thinking um, I also think the theaters, in conjunction with the studios, did not have a choice mm-hmm. because there was a benefit of, you know, like I was saying before, you saw a slight box office push for some of these terrible movies because people had movie pass. <laughs> yeah. They could just go, well, I'm, I'm paying for it anyway, and they would just go. So movies, you know, some trashy movies kind of overperformed because of that. Um, but the, the other thing is, I mean, you're, you're hoping someone spends twenty dollars, and you're, that person is a person who sees, you know, three movies a month. Um, I don't know if that price point works. I mean, I think, think ten dollars is, way, is easy for people to, to dismiss. Yeah, it's I mean, cheaper than a gym membership. You know what I'm saying? It's just ten dollars. Uh, we start talking about twenty and these and three times a month and all that, and mm, ten dollars I can forget. Ten dollars I can forget. I spent ten dollars this month. On, on whatever on socks, but um, we'll see if they can get people. If that if the price point somehow matches what people feel like they're getting, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they'll use it, but if I'm thinking about I see movies and I look at the twenty dollars a month and I say this makes sense because I'm also paying for Netflix and, mm-hmm. and, and internet whatever, I can pay this because I go see a bunch of movies. Well, Movie Pass, I think when you say oh it's just ten dollars a month and you can buy you know. You can buy whatever up to a year and it's cheaper or whatever. Um, I think that's easier for people to do subconsciously mm-hmm. without thinking about it, whether they go see the movie or not. 
Yeah, I mean, and it, it definitely, I mean, to kind of tie it into, well, one of kind of a past that you and I, you know, share, you know, which is the gym. Uh, yeah. When I was in the fitness industry, things like Planet Fitness and Studio 19 and all these places, which have incredibly low dues because they count on you forgetting about it. They count yep. on you being like, oh, this is only $10 a month, whatever. So yeah. coming from that world, this 1995, I guarantee there's going to be a very, very large percentage of people who get this and forget about it in four months. So I don't know because it's specific to it's specific to AMC theaters. I think that's the thing. Uh, Had it been like just just a pass that people use, and I could use it in any theater, it's different. It's such a specific thing that. Like, we have a bunch of theaters around here, right? But we only have two AMC theaters. Well, two in, two. in Seattle. I mean, we have... Two, two in Seattle, right? But... Yeah. but Actually, no, three. Work. We have the new one in uh, U-District. They took that one. They took over the Sundance oh, yeah, yeah, one. Yeah. No one even goes to that. But yeah. yeah. No one cares. We have three. No one cares about that. But you see what I'm saying? So there's there's other theaters you can go to to see a film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I don't... I think that might be kind of the stickling point with people is... Well, it's only for AMC, and if AMC's not on my train route, not on my bus route, not close to my house, mm-hmm. uh, what's the benefit of doing that? Yeah, I mean, they do and have some other, you know, they do have some other benefits, trying, you know. They're trying, they're trying to get people to leave the house and, and go to the theater. Yes. There's so much content, we were talking about the streaming wars, right, and content wars. There's so much content at home, and people are so apt to stay home and watch stuff with their family, mm-hmm. or binge watch Luke Cage this weekend. Or watch Stranger Things, or or old movies on on Netflix or Amazon Prime, or Hulu. That there there has to be a reason for them to get out and see and go to the movie theater. I think the the divide is going to be that there will always be people who will get out and they'll go see Infinity War. We saw it and made two billion dollars. So regardless of the content at home, people saw this movie and said, "I'm gonna get out and go see it." Um, but there'll be films. Uh, uh, a movie pass situation or AMC situation works for a film like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Where the yeah. reviews are terrible, but they're like, I paid $10. <laughs> right. I, I, I'll, I'll see if it's as bad as people say, because who cares? I, I've had people literally tell me, who cares? I have movie pass. I'll just go see it. Oh, same with uh, the, the movie that, granted, you and I are legitimately excited for because we enjoy terrible movies, but yeah. The Meg. The movie oh, I don't about, think The Meg is going to be terrible. What do you... No, so Meg, slow down. <laughs> I never said The Meg is going to be uh, terrible. I am saying it right now. The movie oh, I don't looks think so. ridiculous, but it is something where that so. movie is perfect for movie pass. Yeah, yeah, those movies, those middle of the road movies that you know, <clears throat> and we see them come a lot. Like you'll see them, you know, end of August, you know, stretching into the Oscar season, mm-hmm. and even some of those Oscar films. Yeah, like, oh, I never heard of this movie. It's some small movie with Francis McDermott. I guess I'll go see it because I have movie pass. Um, so th- there will always be people who, who go out and do that. And there's a benefit to it, and I think AMC is trying. I think they realized that with their association with MoviePass, and was like, "Well, we could do some of it." Since we're seeing this spike with our ticket sales through MoviePass, we might have to create something of our own yeah. where we can get all of the profit and, and and hopefully keep people in theaters. I just don't know. I mean, the, because they have they're not movie pass. They're not like this startup company and they have other ways to earn money. Yes. Right. Cause once you get in the doors, AMC, you're going to buy food. You're going to buy popcorn and drinks. Cause whatever I've already paid for this movie, I can buy a bunch of concessions, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and people end up spending more money than they normally would. 
because of that, I think they have that movie, the AMC Stubbs thing they have, mm-hmm. has longer legs. Yes. Because they, they'll be able to eat maybe a couple months where it's not as profitable. Um, but also, I think, you know, if Movie Pass can keep its price point low and figure out some sort of package or some sort of way to, to, to keep it going, I think they can, they can last a little bit longer. Yeah. So I, don't think, I don't think they have to shut down just yet. No, n- not quite yet, but I, I still, I, yeah, I, I, I personally do not think they're going to last uh, as they are, I will say, through the year. I mean, currently their stock is at 44 cents, which granted the stock market is all kind of fake numbers and it gets, those numbers can fluctuate, but it, it, you know, compare that to October and... I know, mean, like that stock price probably dropped because the, the assumption is... AMC is going to stop allowing movies to work at the theater. Yeah, yeah they're going to stop allowing them to work at the theater. Oh, like, they already so, did. Like, they, yeah. AMC stopped that a while ago. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's kind of it. That is, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I think, and also think this won't be the last iteration of the AMC stubs thing either. No. I think it'll it'll go through a, diff- a bunch of different life cycles until it finds the right price point, the right packages, and the right incentives for fans and, and moviegoers to feel like what I'm paying is is okay, and I might just forget about it and not even attend this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we, we definitely will see uh, with that. Uh, and then the last bit of geek news, just uh, basically some some nice news, as opposed to a corporate takeover or a company falling apart. Uh, I, I, don't think, to, I don't think we reported any bad news today. Well, no, just... Uh, it's the, all positive news. Corporate monopolies, I still have a hard time with, even though... Yes, it Why is. Why do you say it's a monopoly? Uh, Disney owning... It's not, a monop- it's not a monopoly. It is not a monopoly, true. Just like Comcast is not a monopoly in Washington, they're an oligopoly because you still technically have options, even though Comcast is the only option for a lot of people in an area. Disney purchasing Fox isn't stopping anyone from competing with anything. At all, on any level. True. It's just a company it- acquiring another company, <laughs> which has happened... Since companies have began acquiring it's another com- company and only leaving a couple others out there, yes, there there are a lot. But the studios have done that forever. This, that, that that is the studio thing. Another studio acquires another studio. Yeah, but well, think- and again, I don't think these studios like if 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 Comcast acquires CenturyLink, everything would be Comcast. Right. Right. That would be a monopoly. Disney, Disney acquiring Fox is just Disney acquiring Fox, and Fox as an entity still exists. It just is owned by Disney. They want them for the content. I don't think it's a monopoly. They want the content, which yeah. is fine. Yeah. They don't own that. They're not rebranding everything Disney, which was everyone's fear when they bought Star Wars. For sure. Was everyone's fear when they bought Marvel, and none of that has ever happened. They just want the content. Yeah. That's the it. Content and the content la- and the creative license. And the creative license to sell. Yes, that's it. That's not. It's not. They're not going to squash Warner Brothers with it. If Warner Brothers could do it, they would do the same thing. They're just not. They, they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Fox uh, says, "Hey, I'm up for sale. Let me buy you," and they bought them. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like you know sports owners who own different teams. I'm not smashing together the Hornets and and the Panthers. They're still two separate teams. I they just may have the same owner. That's fine. Okay. Those are also. Yeah. Okay. I get what you're- <laughs> it's the same. Like we're not, we're not, you know, smashing together and, and forming like Voltron. It's just I own your content. I own 
the right to license your properties. Mm-hmm. Please continue to. They're not walking in and cutting off the heads of all the Fox execs and, and booting them out the room. Right. They're, just on, they're just on the content, yeah. which I think is fine, which is, again, something that's happened with movie studios for the longest. And it's going to keep happening. This is going to be the last time it's happened. True. Think about it. It's like, it's like tech companies. A lot of tech companies just start startups are just there just so they can get bought out by some other company. Oh, I mean, especially in Seattle, you see it all the time with my friends in the gaming community. Yeah. They will start they they will do a startup it. gaming company, get all of their users, you know, for that yeah. first two years, and then they get bought out by Oculus, or they get bought out by, you know, Microsoft. Because locally, right. we have a ton of independent game creators, and a lot of them, yeah, are just kind of waiting to make a big hit establish their user base and make their product a lot more appealing, you know, to somebody else. That's it. Happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, speaking it's, it's speaking very of, common business <laughs> of going into a boardroom and cutting off the heads of people, uh, the good news or the, the interesting news that did not happen is two people from Game of Thrones got married and nobody got murdered at the wedding. Yeah, uh, I heard about that. So Kit the two Harrington. people who got married were Kit Harrington and... Uh, do, 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 do. Rose Leslie. Uh, wait, no. Uh, yes, Rose Leslie. So, those of you who, for whatever reason, do not know, that is Jon Snow and Egret from HBO's Game of Thrones. They got married this weekend. They look super cute. They've been together since they kind of met on the show back in 2012. That's awesome. Yeah, they are adorable, and it just it looks fun. And like the people at the wedding, I mean, a bunch of people from the show were there and some people were joking you know in the comments of, of the article they were like if some you know somebody should have put on like the reins of castamere you know given the dj a cd or something as hilarious as that would have been uh she rose leslie does not like pranks at all there's a really funny video from i think like last year or two years ago where john i almost called him john snow kid harrington <laughs> loves april fools and he put a severed head in the refrigerator of their home. She opens it in the morning and flips out. And of course, he is recording all of this because that is what you do. Yeah, that was the last April Fool's Day prank uh, he played against her. She's just not with it. So as funny as it would have been for the fans, no, no. And that's somebody's wedding. I don't know. If, I don't know if a wedding is is the the, the good time for a prank. I don't know if I would pick right. that venue as the time to prank somebody. Unless that's just how you and your wife get down. Other mm-hmm. than that, I, I don't know if I would pick it, but, you know, my wife's wedding day to, to prank her. No. Yeah. So, yeah, so Probably congratulations uh, to those two. I just, Congrats. Lo- lo- love is a beautiful thing, man. I'm always, I don't know them. I don't know them personally. I don't know anything about their relationship. I did not even know they were dating. Yeah. But I'm always happy to hear about two people getting married and they seem to be happy in the photos. Seems like an exciting time. They seem to be sort of, since I haven't heard anything about them, they've clearly avoided any sort of major scandal in their Mm -hmm. relationship. So kudos to them. Yeah, so good for them. Uh, All right, so links to all of those stories will be in the show notes below. So that was the Geek News section. Uh, Now we're going to cut to an interview that I did with Garib Seamus, who is the CEO of Ace Comic Con. Uh, I had the chance to interview him while they were setting up the con. So it was pretty crazy. So that also means that during parts of the interview, you are going to hear some backing up of forklifts. They were testing the music 
at certain times. It's but, not the constructor con. <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, but it was just, you know, to have that opportunity to kind of see behind the scenes while they're working on it. It was really cool. So, so yeah, definitely thank you to, to Garrett for giving me uh, that time. We talk about his work with Ace. We also talk about his his past with Wizard World and the conventions that he put on with them for like 20 years. So it was, wow. it was a lot of fun. So I'm going to cut to that interview after we get back from that interview. Then we will talk about our feelings and kind of the things that we saw at Ace Comic Con and some vendors. <laughs> That we so I have any feelings. It's not that crazy. <laughs> I have so many feelings about the con. I don't. I have observations. Clearly, I don't know if I have feelings about it. Fair enough. So yeah. So right now we will cut to the interview with Garib, and then we will be right back to talk about Ace. So I'm now sitting down with the the man without whom this would not be possible, Garib Seamus from Ace Universe. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you made it to see us uh, setting up here in action. Yeah, it is pretty crazy. I like seeing kind of the guts and the nuts and bolts of everything before everything happens. Yeah, a lot of times, you know, people see the finished product or they walk in uh, while it's in progress, but mm-hmm. they never really get to see the behind the scenes on the setup and what it takes and how many people it takes to kind of get this thing going. Bolts behind the scenes is pretty incredible. So thank you for for giving me this access. Uh, so I want to get right into it. Uh, as longtime comic book readers, like you and myself are, there was always those asterisks when a character would say something like, oh, remember when this happens? There's an asterisk, you go down to the bottom of the page, like, read issue number 125. So before looking ahead, I want to look back. So you pretty much grew up in a comic book store. <laughs> you know, your parents owned one, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I have three brothers, and we grew up mm-hmm. collecting sports cards and comic books. And then my, it became such a family hobby slash business mm-hmm. that my mom wound up opening up a comic book store. And so literally when I was in uh, early teens, I had a candy store in the family, right. you know, which sold comic books. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Now, which, I mean, that is every kid's dream, yes, first of all. I had a lot of jealous friends. Absolutely. So, like, what continues to drive your passion then from seeing it literally your entire life, practically from kind of all sides of, of the business. What continues to drive you? Well, there were, the, the initial drive was really this idea of being able to fit in. You know, being okay. a geek or a nerd, we were considered the outsiders. Absolutely. And, you know, it was a very derogatory term, actually, back in the day. So for people who love superheroes, it was one of those things where you just wanted to fit in. So, so much of the first 20-plus years of my life was mm-hmm. about acceptance. But that's changed because now that superheroes have been accepted all over the world by so many different groups of people, whether you're country barriers, religious barriers, race barriers, it doesn't really matter. Superheroes have really pervaded the world. So now for me, a lot of it is driving community. It's now that we are accepted as a group, how do we now become a much more global integrated community? And that's really why ACE was born. Very cool. And that actually, that leads into... My next question is, speaking of community and things like that, you were the publisher of a magazine that raised me, practically, right. uh, Wizard Magazine, Yes, back in the day. I poured through every page of that because sometimes we might not be able to get all of the new issues that were coming out. That was something where I was like, no, this is happening. <laughs> and it was like yeah. $3.99 or something like that. But I made sure to do that because it, it went over everything yeah that, uh, that was a magical time mm-hmm. in life i mean i i think so many 
unbelievable things came together. Yeah. The team that we had, the industry, the professionals, everybody felt like it was part of a, a family. You know, so whether you were at Marvel or DC or at Wizard or, or any of these companies, we, we had like a just this incredible magical time where everybody just wanted to be accepted and to, mm -hmm. to let the world know what's going on. And um, it was really when we did our first Comic-Con right. that really galvanized everything. At the time, San Diego had maybe 10 plus thousand people. The Chicago Comic-Con, which we bought, had about two to 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. But it was really just comic books being sold on tabletops. Yep. I mean, that really was the business. But the magazines were selling you know, 500,000 plus copies a month worldwide in mm -hmm. 75 countries and dozens of languages. So we had this incredible audience out there, and but they were all out there on their own. Mm -hmm. And once we did the Chicago show, uh, we were able to bring so many of the companies and people together that it was really more about having a party for to celebrate the right. magazines and the audience and the and 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 the comic books. And it was just one of those uh, incredible times where everybody came together. And I, I think in the mid '90s that really galvanized the movement, you know, that we see today on a global basis. It was mm -hmm. really that time when people got together, and for the first time recognized that that people that love comic books and these superheroes were part of something when they got to meet each other face to face. Part of something larger because a lot of us, you know, whether we would go to the local comic book store, pick up our issues and read them right there or take them home, you know, you did not really feel that sense of community as much it sounds like really until those larger cons and those cons that were developing like yours really started to take over that, that landscape. Absolutely. And, and because it was... It wasn't once a year. When we had right. the magazines, we had a magazine coming out every week at mm -hmm. that time. So the beauty is that there was this continual you know, focus on it. There was a continual way to interact with it and feel like you're part of it on a year-round annual basis. So mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it wasn't just the one event a year or one Comic-Con a year. It was the fact that we were talking to and this audience and we were speaking with them on a very consistent, regular basis. And that's really how people felt connected. Mm -hmm. And it was all pre-internet back then. Right. And uh, that and was really... some of my younger listeners, yeah. yes, there was a time before the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. And cell phones for that matter. Right. There, there were no social networks. And, mm -hmm. you know, so the place people congregated was, you know, around the magazines or around, around the Comic-Cons. And, um, yeah, it was... It was it was it was a pretty inspirational time back then. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some ways that the industry has changed since then, and kind of where do you see it going from here? Now that those of us who are geeks and nerds are accepted, we are the ones, you know, helping these movies make billions of dollars. Yeah, the thing that's changed the most is that in the past, people had their only um, people had their only interaction with the characters through the comic books. Right. And then over time, it became toys and TV and movies, and now we have and gaming, and now we have this world where there's 500 million superhero fans around the world, but 99% of them plus got their first interaction with these characters not through comic books, and yeah, that that's really where, when we started Ace, it was how do we access this audience on a global basis mm -hmm. where their first interaction with these characters was not comic books yep. and this might be the first opportunity where they've been able to come into this 
Comic-Con world and the superhero world in a live experience kind of way, not having come through the comic book side of it. So we needed to rethink the way we created these experiences and these mm -hmm. events so that it's totally open and inviting to anyone that wants to interact. I mean, because you, you've been doing this for a while. You know, when you talk about interactivity, and so 20 years, 175 cons approximately, you know, yes. somewhere around there. When you were talking about the fans and you were talking about that type of connection, you know, that people have nowadays that just did not exist before, what is something that you have learned from the fans themselves? So from the fans, what we've learned is that we don't get to decide how they love these characters and how they love these superheroes. Hmm. We have to we have to embrace how they interact and how they love them. So we can't we have to be very, very open mm -hmm. to that. And however they want to interact or however they want to experience it, we have to customize the way we think right. for people. And what we also have to think about is just living in a world without barriers, right? Mm. So in so many of these worlds that we live in, it's all about being very exclusive, right? Meaning that, you know, we're in a hall right now where um, anybody who bought a ticket to the show can come. And mm -hmm. a lot of times these types of venues only allow a thousand people or 2000 people. Right. And there's so many people left outside because they didn't get here early enough or they didn't spend enough money to get there. So we've set it up where if you have a ticket, you can come mm -hmm. and experience that. And we also want to set it up where you want to be able to come to these events and share it with your friends that can't make it, mm -hmm. whether you want to make them jealous or you, or, <laughs> right. or you want to just be able to share, you know, what a great time you're having. People want to be able to do that. So mm -hmm. we're live streaming the event and right. people themselves are going to have their cameras out shooting and, you know, setting it up on their own you know, Insta stories or Instagrams or Facebooks or their YouTube channel or mm -hmm. or whether it's Snapchat or Twitter. You know, what we want to do is just create an environment where people can be themselves. And we don't want to dictate how they get to enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. We want to create a platform for people to just be here and enjoy it and to share it and experience it how they want to experience it. And that is something, it is a really great lesson to learn. You know, as an organizer of so many cons over a couple decades now, Recognizing that, you know, you are here for the fans, like you are working for them. Yes. You know, as much as you are supported by them financially and otherwise, it is something where you, it sounds like, you know, you're really there for them. Absolutely. And that's always the way we've always operated, which is the fans are first and foremost. Mm -hmm. You know, whether when we were doing the magazines back in the day or the Comic Cons back in the day, whether we liked something mm -hmm. or the person or the company or not, it doesn't matter if the, if the fans wanted it, we had to provide it. And it's the same thing here. It's not about us. It's right. in order to create a great experience. It can't be about us. It has to be about the fans. And that's again, going back to that whole community aspect of mm -hmm. it. It's always first and foremost in our mind whenever we do something. Excellent. One of your guests of the, of the show is going to be Kevin Smith. Yes. I'm a huge fan of Kevin. Me too. <laughs> and one of the things he always says is failure is success training. So in all of your kind of years doing this, if you can pinpoint something that maybe not necessarily was the biggest failure, but something that you really, a, a failure that you learned the most from during your time doing this. Um, so from, uh, from this perspective, I, I think failure is, um, 
it's such a part of growing because mm -hmm. without failure, it means that you haven't taken enough chances or you haven't tried. Um, and yeah. so I, I kind of joke that a lot of times when I walk into a room, I, I feel like sometimes I'm the biggest loser <laughs> because I've taken so many chances on things that yeah. haven't worked, but I've taken enough chances of things that succeeded that have far outweighed the, you know, the failures in my life. And um, so for me, you know, sometimes the biggest failures are um, who you surround yourself with, mm. um, you know, where you have to have people that share your vision. Yeah. And so many times, you know, you can have the best idea, the best product, the best branding, the best of everything. But when the people around you don't share that vision mm -hmm. or, or don't have alignment of interest, it, it, could, it could bring the whole thing to a halt. And um, so that's really where, you know, I think is, it's so important to have people around you that love and support and really respect you and what you want to do and are part of that shared vision. Fantastic. And then one of the, one of the last questions, speaking of, you know, shared visions, what is something that you want the fans to take away from this con in particular? Because in, in Seattle, we're spoiled yes. uh, for, for cons. We have dozens of cons a year, Sakura Con for anime, PAX, Emerald City Comic Con. What is something you want the fans to take away from Ace Comic Con? Uh, there's really two things. One is that, that we love uh, superheroes, probably <laughs> right. more than anybody else out there. I mean, we've kind of dedicated our life to it mm -hmm. uh, almost three decades ago yeah. to really bring the fan experience, fan culture to the forefront around the world. And I don't... We, we have worked with so many people to mm -hmm. help work with them and launch their careers and help them along the way. And they've done similar things for us. And we, we've just, we've loved this industry for our whole lives. So a lot of what we bring here is what we ourselves want to see as fans, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, like you mentioned Kevin Smith, yeah. you know, it's also this idea that we can bring two things that we love and then mash it up into something that we could love even more. Right. So it's the idea that we can get somebody like Kevin Smith, who's unbelievable on his own, mm -hmm. and get the Tom Hollands and the Tom Hiddlestons and the Sebastian Stans and the Anthony Mackies, mm -hmm. and get them here, and they're unbelievable on their own. But then when you put it together right. to have Kevin Smith talk to Tom Holland mm -hmm. and talk to Grant Gustin and to talk to Sebastian Stan and Anthony, that's on that's like takes it to another whole level where we could bring two things together that people would not normally get to experience and that leads to the second thing which is we want people to feel like they had a once in a lifetime experience coming here that they may not ever get to see people you know of this caliber all in one place at the same time again and that when people we want people to kind of look back in time and f say to themselves, I can't believe I was there right. at that moment when this all happened. And we also want people to come in with a very open mind because mm -hmm. we're trying to provide a different type of experience than people are used to. Because we're taking what is this comic, this, this convention mentality, and we're about an entertainment experience mm. where we want a lot more fan engagement and that it's all about uh, creating this entertainment type experience and a more curated experience and not this convention experience so we just want people to have an open mind that they're going to experience something new 
and that it's still very early in its infancy in terms of what we're trying to create here. But we want them to feel like they were here in the earliest, day, earliest days of it happening. That is awesome. And then kind of one, one quick thing. So one of the other magazines you did, uh, Toy Fair. Uh, Twisted Toy Fair was one of my favorite things. And this is kind of pre-robot chicken. Right. Could we ever see a return of, of Twisted Toy Fair or something like that? Uh, well, you'll have to see what, what lies in our future. But um, we are going to be launching our new kind of digital experience soon. Okay. Um, so in addition to people being able to go to our, our, our social media platforms and our current website, we're going to be working on some pretty cool stuff that um, I want to say we're going to create our, our new versions of things that we're going to be able to do for the future. Okay. Just as, as a huge fan of Twisted Toy Fair and yes. of course Toy Fair Magazine and Ma- Wizard Magazine, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And where can people find the most up-to-date information on the things that you are doing, things that Ace Universe is doing all over the country? <laughs> Absolutely. So you can find us online at aceuniverse.com. Uh, we also have a site that's dedicated just for the conventions. Uh, I'm sorry, just for the Comic Cons at acecomiccon.com. And then also you can find us all on social media as well at uh, Ace Comic Con on Instagram, Twitter, you know, you name it. You can find us out there. Awesome. And all of that will be linked in the show notes below. Absolutely, yes. So I've been sitting down with Garib Seamus. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we have had music playing uh, and created quite the ambiance. Uh, but like we said in the beginning, I mean, this is seeing the backstage this is seeing what what it truly takes to put on something like this so i i'm humbled that you gave me this this opportunity to kind of see all of this. oh thank you yeah we definitely want people to come in and feel like there's a certain aura about the place when they walk in the front door and mm-hmm. there's been so many incredible musicians and bands and acts that have performed here mm-hmm. that we want people to have that like that high when they walk in the door excellent so thank you again garib thank for you taking the time Thank you again to Garib Seamus, the CEO of Ace Comic Con, for taking the time uh, while everything was being set up uh, to sit down and talk with me uh, just about the con and about his his failures and how he got through them. And, I mean, growing up in a comic book store that his parents owned, can you imagine that? Like, when you first started reading comics, can you imagine if you were the kid whose parents owned a comic book store that you also worked at? Uh, no, that would have been fun. Right? I also, I also hated the kid whose dad worked at Toys R Us because he had all the cool toys. Ooh. I hated him from a distance. <laughs> I just would see him like this kid. Well, it's funny. There was a kid in my class. Man, this is going back. This is like third or fourth grade. So where I grew up, there was a hostess uh, factory or plant or whatever. Not plant. Yeah. That makes it sound like it is aluminum, which we also had. Uh, the hostess factory. <laughs> hostess factory. So, man, this kid's lunchbox he would come in with like you know those uh we were never allowed to have them because they had way too much sugar like the the apple pies or like the raspberry pies with yeah the, the filling right so mm. he would come in with those so but good. he would have a bunch of them he would have the new ones like when ninja turtles came out he had one that had the green stuff in the middle uh, and all of us yeah. who like especially growing up where we did and when we did i would open up my lunchbox right around i have like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. I hope that kid's okay. I hope he doesn't have diabetes and I hope he still has his foot. <laughs> I hope he still has both feet. Uh, no, he's doing well, actually. I'm connected to him on Facebook. So. Oh, good. But it was just like, yeah, so being that kid that everybody You're going to send like, him a message that says type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Tell me. <laughs> what you got? What, what do you, which one do you have? 
I uh, thought I was hosting cupcakes in your lunch bag. Yeah, and he always had, and that was the thing is like, I can count on one hand, maybe two, the times I've ever had hostess treats, even as an adult. <laughs> You're missing out on life, man. I just, we were never allowed to have them as a kid. So oh, never... man, it's got me through many a road trip, <laughs> man, many a, like, in the airport. It's like, I need something before I pass out. Really? Before I get connected. Oh, man. See, that's the thing. Like, yeah, it, it, is, it is one of those things that since I never had it as a kid, I, quote, unquote, do not know what I am missing because I literally well, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add that not. to the list of things you need to do, John. I have a list of things that, that John needs to do. Oh, yeah. That's on the list, mm-hmm. along with watching 500 Days of Summer, mm. a movie you still have not seen, which is great. I own it. I'm going to bring it to you. I'm, bring, I'm putting it in my bag. I'm bringing it to you to watch. I own the movie. All right. Well, we have a movie to see tomorrow, so I guess I can borrow it. What do you mean you guess? <laughs> it's a good movie, man. I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I really do. So, oh, before Okay. For the fans listening to the show, who <laughs> I imagine most of them have seen this amazing movie and heard the incredible soundtrack. What do you think this movie is about? Me? Yeah. What do you think? It's a, what do you think happens just in this Judging movie? from, I guess, I remember when it came out, it was this indie darling. Uh, it just looks like a hipster romantic comedy. Yeah, and I actually do think it is. What do you think it's? A, what do you think it's about? What do you think happens in this movie? I do not even know or Take care. A guess. Take okay. Okay. My, be, my best guess from the poster art that I think I remember yes. seeing, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a guitar, right? Keep, no, please keep going. I'm not telling you anything. I, I want you to okay. talk this out. So, <laughs> when you watch it, it's going to be hilarious. This is like, go this back is, and revisit. This is like an improv skit when you go to improv class and they say, uh, yes, and? And they just have yes. to keep going. Okay, so Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt. Uh, yes, guitar. Is it, yeah, has a guitar, is a struggling yeah. musician, meets okay. another young hipster person. Is it Zoe Deschanel? It's Zoe Deschanel. Okay, so I, I, that one is real. Uh, okay. They meet. She is all quirky and weird, like she has made her entire career being. Okay. Uh, ooh, a twist. Because every romantic comedy has to have a twist, even though it is contrived. And you can see it from my First of all, it's dumb. It's not a romantic comedy. Mm. We continue. It's okay. not a romantic comedy. Okay. Uh, so the the twist. He plays guitar. She is quirky. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, she has cancer, and mm. then. They fall in love very quickly in a summer, which 500 days, I don't even understand that. Ooh, oh, I know. Actually, I get it. They only see each other during the summers because she moved away. So in a, uh, series, in a series of summers, they fall in love, but then she dies. Movie. Okay. Credits. Okay, I like this. Can we have an ongoing segment called John Explains Movies He Doesn't <laughs> He's Never Seen? Because yes. I would love to have that. You just explaining the part of the movie you've never seen. Nope. I, I legitimately do not remember a trailer. How, how right or wrong you are. I can't wait for you to watch it and, and, and see it. And then after you watch it, can you talk about it on your show? Yes. <laughs> here, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict something. You're really going to enjoy this movie. Hmm. Okay. Without a doubt, you're going to enjoy it. Okay. You're gonna be I- like, that was solid. And just like with was, most things, it I was one of my favorite movies that came out that year. And it was somewhat recent. It was only like a few years ago, right? Ten, maybe seven, eight. Two thousand twelve, I think. Oh, okay. A few years. Okay, so six years. Mm, um, so <clears throat> this this coming week, Tim and I have a crazy busy schedule. We have a bunch of movies, so I will make time to see Five Hundred Days of Summer. It's not that long of a movie. Okay. 
Well, I hope not, because it is. If it has any sort of romance in it, then my tolerance is real short. Uh, Why are you saying it has romance in it? Because I just. Uh, here's the thing. Oh, oh, 2009. Okay. Why do you think it has romance in it? I love the CW shows. I've gone on record saying that multiple times, and they have some of the silliest romance, romantic moments. But I they love have some them. of the cheesiest. But romance. I love them. <laughs> Because and it has to do with okay. characters that I grew up with. And it was like, of course, Iris and Barry have this, you know, loving relationship, but it took them so long to figure it out. And, and I was there for it. You've got a daughter it. from the future who's trapped in the new time. So there for it. Oh. 100% there. Because it is the Flash. Do, do you recognize the girl who plays their daughter? I, the, okay, the, the whole the season. Kennedy? I was like, what do I know her from? She was from um, uh, Black Sails. Oh, really? Yeah. It's it's odd seeing her in that show because she has a nude scene like in the pilot of Black Sails. <laughs> so it's weird seeing her as like a daughter <laughs> of she, someone. I was like, you were like hella naked on the show the first episode. Black Sails was only a couple years ago, and she has not yeah. probably done a lot since then. No, she was. She's been. A, she's had like some weird cameos and some stuff. Huh? You'd well, be I surprised. Meant like, I meant like then. bigger things. I mean, Black Sails was huge and it was on. Flash is huge now. Okay. Uh, so yeah. So next week. We'll do a recap, not only of the mov- the new movies we saw this week, but also 500 Days of Summer, so look forward to that, dear listeners. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> now that we went on, on that tangent, I don't even remember where we started with that. But okay, anyway. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it again this weekend, this week, too. Okay. Good for you. Yep. <laughs> uh, so it is fresh in your mind. So Ace Comic Con. Uh, so this was a new con. In Seattle, the con itself has only been around for a couple years, but the organizers, Garib and his brother Steven, have been putting on cons for 20 years and over 175 conventions. So It is a lot of conventions. They bought out uh, Chicago Comic Con back in the day and boosted their whole kind of portfolio. So they really know the con industry. Now, what were your first kind of, uh, not experiences, what was your first perceptions of Ace Comic Con when you kind of walked in and your feelings uh, or your observations kind of about uh, that More first, like observations. About that first day bunch, that you were there. And they have a bunch of emotions. Uh, I missed Friday because I right. have things to do. So I showed up Saturday morning. Um, it was pretty easy to pick up my media pass, which I appreciated. They had their own little separate side entrance. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, super long line trying to get in. Uh, most cons, their busiest days are Saturdays, and this line was was, was crazy. It was madness. Um, the, the first, my first real observation where I was like, hmm, mental note, was it's flat. It's like one yes. flat surface. Um, and I noticed a lot of sort of handicapable people able to get around and a mm-hmm. bunch of kids wandering around and not getting lost in their parents um which was which i hadn't realized i had not seen a lot of because yeah. emerald city comic con takes place at the washington convention center and there's escalators oh my gosh elevators. four different levels yeah two different, six different floors yeah and, and yeah you got to come in and go out uh so this was sort of you know as, as small as the con was and it was still giant in scope, but, you know, small compared to others. Mm-hmm. It was cool to see people that would just wheel around. And, and uh, there was a guy who had, like, a full, like, pins in his knees. And yeah. he clearly had just had something happen. And he was getting wheeled around. and But he was able to enjoy the con and see the panels and buy the, and look and look at the artwork and uh, without that cumbersome uh, 
sort of, you know, escalator thing. And, and that's been a thing for me since I broke my foot years ago. Right. I'm always looking at something like, hmm, how could someone access this if they weren't able to walk around on two feet? Because I spent like eight months, not eight months, like four months trying to figure out, making that choice of like, is this worth having to hobble around on my crutches? Right. And anyone who's ever been on crutches understands that plight of like, hey, I really want some sushi, but man, I, there's no elevator and there are like four sh- short sets of stairs, but I don't have it in me today. Right. The, the worst was being in Vegas on crutches. That Oof. was the worst. Yeah, man. That was that. That sucked. But it's again, the first Vegas, thing I really Vegas is predominantly flat, but so but everything spread is out. far, man. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the the I was staying at some hotel and like. Caesars was not far away mm-hmm. normally, but on crutches it felt like I had to plan my day. Like if I'm going to Caesars, I'm staying there for a minute. I'm mm-hmm. not <laughs> turning back around. Uh, so yeah, that, that was my first observation, and also it was uh, it was dark. It was dark. Yeah. Usually a lot more well lit. It was pretty dark in there. Not a lot of lights. It made sense for like the main stage, but uh, it totally it, did. And that was something else that you know I yeah my my first observations were also similar. It was flat. A little bit dark, but one thing that I loved that you saw basically right as soon as you walked in is they had giant screens everywhere throughout the con. Everywhere. So wherever you were in the con, you could watch the panels from the main stage, and they had a couple extra screens for their second stage, which mainly had like artists who were doing like uh, master classes or you know smaller uh, panels. But the yeah. main stage, you could be almost anywhere in the con, on the con floor, and find a screen and watch it. Yeah, I was like over in the corner by where the people were loading stuff in and out, and it was like a screen. Yeah. And people standing around watching a panel. And I was like, oh. So while, while I'm standing in line waiting to get my photo op with Tom Holland, I can watch a panel. So I'm not bored out of my mind, which I thought was smart. Yeah. Because sometimes you're just standing there like waiting. I noticed they had they had uh, metal detectors for photo ops. Yep, another smart sense. thing. Some people's people are crazy. Uh, I was like, oh wow, metal detectors. Yeah, people got search going in though, right? Uh, the general admission, yes, we did not because we just came and through the. No press one entrance. even looked at me. And they were like, oh funny. hey, whenever what's up? I, whenever I go to one of these cons, I roll in with my Pelican yeah. hard case with all of my equipment, which. Pelican has government contracts, and so almost any movie that you watch, either on screen or the behind the scenes, almost all of their gear are in Pelican cases. Pelican is a massive company, so I roll in, and it has a big uh, master lock on the case. Nobody questions it. Nobody yeah, is man. like, uh, sir, can you... No. You just Listen, walk in. If you, if you had your beard grown out, you'd definitely be stopped. Oh, well, of course. Time. That happened all the time. Sir, 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 sir. <laughs> Now I just look Dominican with my short hair, so they're like, yeah, "Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. That was... So, the the screen... Yeah, they're going to perform like the the Dominican barber. (laughs) The the screens everywhere (laughs) were great, and I think because of the screens, that was one reason why it was a little bit darker. And that that was a criticism that I saw online. A lot of people were like, it wasn't very photographer friendly. Which no, is true it wasn't. when it comes to cell phones. If you have a nice camera with a flash, you were fine. But yeah. most people who are walking around the con, like Tim and I, see an awesome cosplay, and we're like, hey, can we take your picture? And they say yes or no, depending. And then we're like, cool. And then you have to look around and be like, uh, That's, can you yeah. hear? Can you, uh? 
And, and I mean, they could, that's easily solved with a with few big lights oh, they could sure. purchase to have, you know, positioned around to sort of add some light. The one thing I think it really hurt was for the artist. Because um, one of the artists that I did see um, who I loved his work was Esteban. Okay. Uh, why am I spacing on his last name? Because I, I bought a bunch of artwork. Esteban, man, sounds like one of my Dominican cousins. I mean, what? Esteban <laughs> Salinas. He was great. But here's the thing. His booth was super well lit, mm-hmm. so he had like he had like lights on his booth. I've seen sometimes um, like Greg Horn when he go- goes, he does the same thing, and his is well lit even in Comic Con area, mm-hmm. um, where it's all lit up in Convention Center. And he still has lights because there's like a lot of stuff that's like looks good under. Was that like the, black the flash lights. print that you got? Yeah, the flash print. Yeah. I got a Wolverine print. I got a silk print, and I got a one Star Wars one with the yeah. ATAT. His, yeah, um, his booth is super lit up. <laughs> but super lit up. And even, but so even, so, you know, if, you, if you've ever been to a con, you, you visit like an artist alley, you'll see they have the books laid out and you can flip through. But even his books, he had like these little sort of lamps set up mm-hmm. over the books so people could see. And I was like, that, that was brilliant. And that made his booths really stand out. And I felt bad for the other artists because it's not well lit and it didn't really allow some of their artwork to be seen properly, especially from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt bad for them. And, you know, of course, some of the cosplayers. But, uh, you know, that's that's an easy... The, the, the problems with the con, I'm, problems in quotes, mm-hmm. are stuff that they could easily fix. This isn't, like, stuff that they, that's, like, hardwired to the con. It's little stuff like, I didn't really see any ace people present. Like, Yeah, a lot present. of the ace and, staff who was there, who... Yeah. They're wearing nice polos. My friend Abby yeah. was working the autograph booth or the autograph tables with Tom Holland right. and Tom Hiddleston. They were there, but with how many big name stars there were, they were really concentrated on yeah, those keeping those people and from not, getting, like, not just up, walking but... around. Like in Emerald City, you constantly yeah. see people. You, you can't not not see them. Yeah, well, even but, at but also Geek I, Girl I think Con. it's helpful. I think it's helpful. Yeah, even at Geek Girl Con. But I think I think that's helpful yeah. for. This con was, was small in size compared to a bunch of other cons we've been to. Mm-hmm. But if your con is going to grow, which I'm sure that's their hope, with that growth comes more chances for weirdos and, and weird things to happen and, right. and, 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 and people to be, you know, not so nice to each other, right? The more people you have, the more, the more chances these type of things happen. Mm-hmm. And I think just the presence, even just the presence of someone in a shirt that says, Ace Comic Con on the front. Ask me for a question or how for can sure. I help you? Just that pre- that physical presence of having people there is helpful. And one one thing me and, and I, was, I was hanging out with Mark, uh, the two hundred six mm-hmm. at the panel last night. And one thing we noticed was there was a whole fiasco with the seats, with the seating for for the Infinity War panel with Tom Holland and Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan about they sold this VIP package, and with the package came like a guaranteed seat to the panel. Mm-hmm. But there was like a thousand seats no one was sitting in. <laughs> right. But it, but it, which is the whole whatever, figure that out. But the, the only concern was like there were no ace people there. It was just like people who worked at the convention center yeah. trying to figure this thing out. And I think that's like, it was less of a headache uh, than, you know, you know, people will complain. I'm not complaining. I don't really care. Like I watched the Grant Gustin panel from mm-hmm. the bleachers way in the back right and because like you said because of all the screens and speakers i was fine i was just watching him on the big screen and i was fine i got the whole experience of the panel i could feel it it was loud um but i i know as a fan there's sometimes like being in the crowd and being in a 
amongst the people and it's like a mosh pit when you're down there for and, sure and the energy is out. totally different yeah because when tom holland came out it like it popped like a, i feel like a wwe event it got loud in there when he came on stage everything goes um, back to wwe it's, okay listen it <laughs> felt like it, it, that's what it's like at a wwe event when someone comes out it was like this loud i heard like the scream and then like this wave of like roars and i look up and it's tom holland awesome um but um so you know just having a presence I think having a physical presence, mm-hmm. whether you're touching, having to touch people and move them around or get them out or show them the way or answer questions, it's helpful, especially for uh, our, our, our women and, and children who cosplay and mm-hmm. have to deal with people who don't understand boundaries. Um, for their Just for their safety alone, I would love to have seen more. Not that I don't, I don't think anything happened, but we know how people can be. You know, people who work these cons and the, the stories they tell are oh, yeah. uh, terrifying. <laughs> So and Damien, uh, I mean, yeah. So you know, our friend Damien from the Curly Nerd yeah. podcast, yeah, he has worked security at yeah. multiple conventions, and right. every now and then he has to boot somebody who is acting crazy. Yeah, and so you know, just that that kind of presence, I think, is helpful, and I, I hope that moving forward, that they. Uh, I was thinking about sending them an email. I might do that. Just moving forward, man. Just think about it. Just even if these mm-hmm. people, it's like the security people at my job. They don't have no weapons. Right. They can't do anything. Literally, their their job is to call the police if something happens. <laughs> but just the actual presence of a security guard at a front desk deters people from doing crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, there's security at that desk. Let me not stand out here and harass people outside a panhandle. Let me not do that because I'm just a physical presence. Uh, so I think just having that is helpful. So I hope they do that. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, one of the other things that, you know, it got some criticism for that, I can understand, but on the flip side, so the cost. What I liked about this is that for a three-day adult pass was like 99 bucks, which is super reasonable, especially when you do not even need, like you said, the VIP pass to see the panel. No, you can sit or stand practically anywhere and see the panel and, and be a part of it get the exclusives, you know, that they talk about. Oh, yeah, we forgot to put that in the geek news. Uh, there was an exclusive at this Ace Comic Con uh, that was revealed by Tom Holland, which is the name of the new Spider-Man movie, which comes out, I think they're shooting for, like, 2020. Uh, and it is going to be Spider-Man Far From Home. So yeah. That was an exclusive, but it is not something where, if you just bought a general admission ticket, you did not miss out on that opportunity because you could watch that panel from anywhere so oh watch it on facebook live which was the coolest they streamed everything yeah, on facebook that, live. that was pretty cool uh so yeah 99 dollars for the weekend the way that the credit or the, the, the criticism they received was because for the photo ops and the signatures they were very very expensive like for tom hiddleston uh i think it was like four or five hundred if you wanted um Elizabeth Olsen. That's for the VIP package, though, right? I think, yeah. Not, for the, not just for the photo. For the photo, photo and a signature, photo. I think, it was like 200 or 300 Like, it was still very expensive. And so that was a big deterrent, which, which I understand uh, is expensive. If you want a picture and a signature, yes, it, it is expensive. But just to go, like, for a three-day pass for Emerald City Comic Con is way more than that. <laughs> New York City Comic Con, way more than that. And so with this, having... And I think uh, children were you know significantly less and youths 
So that was smart. I liked that they did a manageable package, a manageable fee for families who wanted to go. You might not be able right. to afford for every member of your family to get a picture and to get an autograph, but still, you can see the panels, you can see the artists, you can see the cosplay, and still be a part of it. Yeah, I saw Matthew Lillard just walking around. Yeah, so did I. He is way bigger than I thought. Um, just walking around the con. I got a picture with him because I actually went to his panel, uh, which I was going to get to in a little bit, but he did a panel uh, about his new Dungeons & Dragons Platinum Edition game called Beetle and Grimm's. Uh, and it okay. is in water. Wait, before, before you get into that, I'm looking at the prices right now. Okay. So autographs were $65 for that Anthony Mackie, one seventy-five mm-hmm. for an autograph from Tom Holland. Now let's click on Tom Holland's VIP package. Mm. $506 includes Tom Holland VIP autograph, mm-hmm. a Sunday Group A photo, a Tom Holland VIP photo op, and a Sunday Group A. Okay, I have no idea what the group oh. A thing. I think group A, I think for seating. So Sunday group A, I think for seating. Oh, for the for the seating that went so well. Yeah, yeah. Winter Soldier and Falcon, same thing. Four hundred ninety six dollars, you get Mackie VIP autograph, a group A, yeah, special stand autograph, and a, and a dual VIP photo op. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're pretty much paying for a pass. A photo, a signature, and a photograph. Mm-hmm. Which, so, if you I mean, did that stuff separately, probably cost you more. For sure. And so I, I know. So that if, you're, if you're someone who's going to do all of that anyway, then that $406, if you were going to have a pass and you were going to take a photo and you were going to get a, get a signature, mm-hmm. um, that's what you're going to spend anyway. Yeah, and I it was just, really it surprised. Seeing, seeing it all smashed together, it looks like a lot, but that's what you're going to pay anyway. Right, and I, I was, I was when I saw those prices, and I heard some of the the flack for that, and you know, I had some people reach out to me and you know ask about it. I saw a ton of people wearing the special VIP lanyard with the picture <laughs> of the person that of the package of the VIP package they got. So like, they they made their money. Like it, Listen. it was not something where you went and you only saw like three people wearing a Tom yeah. Holland VIP thing. Uh, no. <laughs> Listen, if there was a VIP artist package you could pay a certain amount of money and get a certain amount of artwork, yeah. Yeah, guess who's paying that? Me. <laughs> I just don't care about a photo op right. and uh, autograph, so that's just not something... It's, it's like people who buy sneakers, and people complain about how much you paid for whatever, mm-hmm. right? But if you're someone who's a sneakerhead, like our friends Jessica and Damien... Uh, not uh, just them. Uh, Stop trying to put it all on them. It is you two. No, I'm not that, that much. I, I enjoy sneakers, yes, I'm not that, but they're definitely into it way more than me. But okay, uh, yeah, then you understand what you're paying for, right? Even little stuff like we've been talking a lot about, like dry fit pants and, mm-hmm. and some of the Nike tech stuff. But this stuff lasts for, for a long time. Yeah, and so, so I, I get it. Maybe more people like, why would you pay one hundred and forty-five dollars for a sweatshirt? But I'm thinking, like, I'm going to pay 145 for a sweatshirt that I can wear for the next eight years. Right. If I wanted to. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that was, uh, like, I when, I was, uh, when I was up in Vancouver like, today, recently, I, I, today I finally... I my pocket, and then my feet don't hurt at all. I walked around all day on them, and I felt fine. That's what I, that's what I paid for. Oh, right, right. I yep. paid $150 to wear these shoes and for my feet to not hurt myself when I walked around. And that, that's exactly what I paid for. Yeah. Uh, I recently did one of those types of purchases where in Vancouver, uh, I finally 
bought a Roots hoodie, which are expensive, but it's something that I'd wanted for a long time. And I know that just like what the example you gave, I know that I'm going to have this hoodie for years. So, ah, so expensive is relative, right? The things I spend money on now that I would never have spent on when I was 19. True. It's relative to, to who you are. So when people look at these VIP packages and it's a price point they want to pay for, that's fine. But these same people, not, not just, but these same people would pay money to see Beyonce, mm-hmm. which is a three-hour yeah. trip event. into <laughs> event. But for that, for my friends who pay for Beyonce, it is well worth every red cent that they pay. Yep, I saw Beyonce they, and I would pay again anytime. Yeah, it's something they enjoy, and it's the same with this kind of stuff. You feel like five hundred dollars is too much, but hey, to say I met Tom Holland, we took a picture, got an autograph, I saw him speak. Yeah, if I love Tom Holland or I love Anthony Mackie, bet. Mm-hmm. Listen, man, if they had a Tessa Thompson signing, <laughs> oh god, that's <laughs> eating top ramen for a week. This guy, because I'm, I'm gonna meet Tessa Thompson. We're going to take a photograph, and I'm gonna tell her how amazing she is to her face. Mm-hmm. You would, yes. you would be the one who would buy extra ones. And then they're like, all right, mm-hmm. next. And you're like, nope, I'm next. Yep. <laughs> Just, like, let, me, let me put on this fake mustache. <laughs> show up and like, get right back in line again. No, but, you know, but that the, the ability to, to meet. I mean, I think we lose sight of this sometimes uh, as, as adults. But mm-hmm. remembering being a kid and being a fan and being a fan of things and the opportunity to. And also, you know, not to be like the old man. Go ahead, Grandpa. The opportunity. Being on social media allows the young people opportunity to feel like they're close to these people even though they're not. They feel like they have a connection to them, which then encourages them to say, this person's in town. I've been following Tom Holland forever. I love him in Spider-Man. I look at all the Instagram posts. I like all his photographs. I have a Tom Holland fan page. All Whatever the stuff you're into, here's my chance to meet him. I'm going to pay money to meet him. Like It's not yep. it's not rocket science. And the price point is that it's at a Point where they know because clearly that these people are getting money for doing this, and Ace Comic Con needs to get a cut. And so this is the point that they've come up with. This is the price they're going to charge, and if people want to pay it, people pay it. I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, uh, I mean, so that got some criticism. What was ridiculous is when, uh, well, first actually, let me talk about some of the other good things that I liked. Uh, so it's inexpensive. The accessibility was great. The screens were great. Um, the staff who we did interact with and who we did talk to. Oh, they're fine. Yeah, it was helpful. Uh, Very helpful. Very just, kind people. It was difficult sometimes when you talk to some of the the con, or not the con, the uh, facility staff as far the as... People who work yeah, for the event center. For, yeah. for the event center, because they have stuff coming into the event center every day almost. Man, and they I've just been have to car shows there. I've been to all kinds of stuff there. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, Sumo and Sushi there when it was here a few years ago. It was this big Sumo event. So, I mean, that staff... You and I went up to them individually for various things, and I would be like, hey, you know, is this seating available for this? And they were like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but other than that... There, there was food there. There was food in there. There was a Starbucks. There was food. That was another thing that I saw online. There though. are this plenty is, accessible bathrooms. Uh, so one of the quotes on Facebook when people were just kind of like ranting about Ace Comic Con, <laughs> this is what somebody said, and it was like, come on, reevaluate your priorities. They said, the best thing about this con were the fries. Oh wait, they ran out of ketchup. F my life. <laughs> first world problem. <laughs> it was like, first of all, if you're going to a con for the food, you have you right. no change your life. 
Like, and I, I get what they're saying because at Emerald City Con, because it is at the Washington State Convention Center, you have a subway, you have a pizza place, you have ice cream. Sure. But also, the, the, the benefit, and maybe a little bit next year with the con is, uh, they started using food trucks on the side of the yep. on the side of the thing. There's food trucks to pull up, so maybe next year, you know, Ace will have some food trucks come and just park right outside, and people can go out and get food and eat and, instead of being stuck out there. And maybe have some stuff outside, you know. Yeah, I mean, and granted, where this was, it was right by you know CenturyLink Field. I mean, it was in the building for CenturyLink. So I mean, building, you had some yeah. hot dog vendors outside and. All stuff. Yeah. Those oh, yeah. Of complaints. Stuff that like popcorn and kettle corn and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Those type of complaints just bothered me because it was like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, if you love ketchup, then it's really a downer for you. <laughs> apparently. And the other thing like that I will say is the actual, I will say, merchandise area, both for artists yeah. and for vendors, it was a little bit cramped. Uh, and I feel yeah. like they could have expanded a lot more, but with how they had to do the line the crowd management for the autographs. Yeah. They had to leave a lot of room. So I understand, but it is something easily fixable for the next time. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of artists, that is something that you and I try and talk about every con we cover. You especially, you know, are really good about always trying to pick up some new art from some people and also maybe some art from your favorite people. So who did you pick up this time? How about we do some shout outs? Uh, that was it. Uh, just Esteban and uh, Al Nerd Me went out to mm-hmm. see uh, Stephen Poon. Mm-hmm. Stephen out there, and our friend Aaron was there working the booth uh, with very uh, discreetly placed uh, artwork for Jurassic Park and uh-huh. Dark Nectar. That was not an accident. Um, but no, yeah, yeah. So that's really it. I, I saw a few that I really enjoyed, but that was those things spoke to me the most, especially. Uh, Esteban's work. It's really, I, had, I had never seen him before. This was the first time me really seeing some of his minimalist work. I thought it was really, really cool designs. And, and it's funny because I bought three pieces that were really minimalist, but then the, the silk. The silk is all over the place. The silk is not. It's dope, though. Mm-hmm. It's dope. So, yeah, you can check that's on my Instagram. You can check it out there. You can check out his artwork, um, which I tagged him in the photo. So you can go to his Instagram, check out his artwork, check out his website, and nice. you can see some of his work. It's pretty cool stuff. Very cool. Uh, some of the stuff that I picked up, so I also picked up a couple prints from OutNerd Me. Um, I will put up pictures of those on social media. Uh, I also bought some Star Trek The Next Generation, basically the communicator badges that are solid metal. Like, I was really surprised from this booth that it took up a lot of space. It, that was a booth where I was like, come on, guys, like you could trim this down. They had Captain America shields for like $300 that were solid metal. But I bought these awesome uh, Star Trek communicator badges, and I, I was a big fan of those. I forgot the name of that booth, but they were pretty cool. Um, oh, the thing that you really liked, and I picked up their card. Well, I liked it too, but uh, Leo E. Design does these crazy functional metal art pieces, essentially. Like he oh, had, yeah. They had some scissors that were just super yeah. crazy. Uh, a pen that looks like it is from the future. Like it was just, it was really. Yeah, I like that that multi tool thing they had was really cool. Yeah, that was pretty dope. Uh, and then I also want to give a shout out to this comic book that I picked up called Focus, which is about the first, as far as I know, uh, the first autistic superhero. And not only is it about an autistic superhero, but the people who worked on this, 
both the artists, the writers, the colorist, all of that, on some level are on the autistic spectrum. And this is all part of a program that they put together where they can really help people on the spectrum and everything who are fans of comic books truly create something that represents them. So that was just super dope. Uh, I bought the comic. Uh, I put that up on my Instagram page and tagged them in it. Uh, but yeah, like the program is kind of an internship as well. So it is led by people who are helping kids. Yeah. Just kind of see, create what they want to see in a superhero. So really, really cool. So I highly encourage people to check that out. And it is created by a cultural sociologist. So this is something that unlike, you know, yes, I love Superman and Spider-Man and all that, but this is truly something that, that matters when it comes to the comic book world. Representation is so important. And the fact is it really literally that important? <laughs> yes. Uh, if you say so. That was pretty dope. Uh, my buddy Jeff, who runs Elite Comic Source, I always try and, or not I always try, I always go to his booth and pick some stuff up. This time I picked up Wolverine number 10, which is the first Wolverine and Sabretooth fight, one of the only keys that I am missing. I picked up Justice League of America number 21, which is the first part of Crisis on Earth 1, classic storyline. Amazing Spider-Man 123 with Luke Cage. Uh, just some really cool comics, because that is what I like to do, because I am a deep nerd like that, is I just want to go and dig through long boxes to find some stuff. So I also picked up, but I am not keeping this one, unfortunately, because I bought it for my friend Ryan, Daredevil number two. Uh, Electro is his favorite villain, and one of his favorite comic book characters. This is the first time that Daredevil fought him. Uh, this is when Daredevil was in the yellow and red suit. So yeah, Daredevil number two. I picked that up for him, and I will be shipping that off to him uh, this week. But yeah, so not not a ton of vendors that we would normally see at like Emerald City Comic Con. But I think that, again, that just had to do with the space that they were allowed to have. Yeah, yeah. So Yeah, it's it's not really, you know, kind of out of their hands. But, you know, they did, for a con that, you know, it's still very young in its infancy. Well done. Yeah. Uh, so how about we rate the con with the rating system what? on the Bunchery podcast, which is three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. No stars. No grades. Wait, no. we didn't talk about any of the panels. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I, have the, I actually have the panel sheet here. So on Friday, uh, I saw some of the WWE SmackDown panel, mainly because it was just on screen. So I was walking through. I had no idea who the people were. I sent you guys a picture. And, of course... You and Damien knew exactly who they were. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura was there. Yeah, Shinsuke Nakamura and Becky Lynch and I forget the other person. Linda Garcia. Yep, her. Uh, I saw the D&D and Beetle and Grimm's Design a Dungeon with Matthew Lillard. Got a picture with him afterwards and I was like, dude, he is huge. So big. big Uh, And then I stuck around, of course, for the evening with Kevin Smith, who is one of my favorite uh, creators. Tried to get him on the show while he was in town multiple times. At some point, he will be on the podcast. Uh, and then on Saturday, Tim and I both attended the Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen Vision slash Scarlet Witch panel, which was moderated by Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, da, da, da. And then you stayed for the Grant Gustin panel and the I Tom Holland panel. for Grant Gustin, talking about The Flash. They're going into season five next week. Um, we talked about working on the show and sort of how... So the quick turnaround with the episodes and mm-hmm. how you're sort of like you're in this bubble of flash stuff while you're up there in these in, in, in Vancouver working. 
And also, uh, Camelia Panetta, is that her name? She's on. She's on Riverdale. She spoke oh, yeah, on yeah. Sunday morning, kind of about the same thing. Like she starts working in in Vancouver because you're kind of in it while you're there. You're not. There's not a bunch of other stuff going around. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and Grant kind of echoed the same thing. He was talking about you know doing work on the Flash. That was fun. He was. It was weird seeing him in a full beard. Yeah, he has Beardsley like, Adams. That was crazy. Because he's like all clean shaven on the Flash. So I was like, oh, that guy's like a lumberjack. Um, and <laughs> a very, then very I, skinny lumberjack. I stayed for the infamous uh, Tom Holland, uh, Sebastian Stan, and Anthony Mackie panel, which was funny because they were it was running late because of the photo ops. So mm-hmm. Sebastian Stan comes out first, has a bit of a one-on-one with um, Kevin Smith, and that's mm-hmm. fun. And then out of nowhere, Anthony Mackie's in the background and starts you know, introduces himself like very WWE style. And, uh, gives himself his own introduction, comes out on stage, and if you've been aware, these two, Sebastian Stan and Maggie, have been like roasting Tom yes. Holland in every interview, right? So they, they get right into it when he's on before he's even on stage. They're just kind of talking about him being a crybaby and how he's, he's, he's special. He wants to be on the Robert Downey Jr. plan. He wants to be such a star. And, and then Tom Holland comes out to a roaring applause, and they all kind of banter back and forth. It was pretty funny. There's some pretty funny moments. Uh, one was funny was. Um, uh, Mackie kept saying he's never watched Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, yeah. He just kept bringing it up so he never watched it. And he was joking about how Tom Holland always cries in his movies. And he's always like, I don't want to die. And he's like making, like mocking him. And then Tom Holland shot back that he, he's never seen the Falcon movie. Oh, wait, there's no Falcon movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, pretty funny. Uh, and it, it ended very oddly with these two girls. You can find it online. You can find it on Instagram. Oh, did they put it up already? Yeah, it's all on Instagram. These Woo. two girls... Who, because it was all being streamed on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two girls were not the nicest at the end of the panel, asking questions. They were pretty rude. It was kind of, kind of a crazy back and forth. Uh, but man, Anthony Mackie looks like a lot of fun to work with. He was having all of awesome. the fun. He was having all the fun out of the panel. He owned the panel, man. He, he's got a, a gigantic personality and uh, doesn't take himself too seriously. And you know was really having a good time up there with, with his buddies. And so that was that was a fun panel. Nice, yeah. And then you had to leave earlier on Sunday. Uh, so did yeah. I. So I missed the Tom Hiddleston panel. But yeah, I mean, it was for a three day con. There were a ton of panels, and what was also smart that they do. Big credit to them. When there was a gap on the main stage for a long period of time, they would replay the panel from the previous day. Which again? Uh, wow! Wow! Wait! I can't believe you're, you're missing the biggest surprise of our panel this morning. Uh, oh, you mean? It, it, oh yeah. Uh, so the other panel that we, that we saw today that we specifically went to uh, was Marvel's Luke Cage discussion with Cheo Hadari Coker. Uh-huh. Uh, and before the panel, Tim and I are just sitting there. We got there early because we're used to doing that for press types things. We're just sitting there, just hanging out. And Cheo, like, walks directly to us uh, and, like, sees Tim. And he was like, hey, man, you know, what's up? Shook Tim's hand, shook my hand. And I was like, hey, uh, you know, how you doing? Uh, I have an interview scheduled with Cheo on Monday, which is going to be dropping on Friday. A little bit, little bit of a teaser. I feel like Tim and I are just sitting there. And he just, before he gets on stage, it's like 10 minutes before he is set to go on stage, just comes over directly to us and just said hi. And I think a big part of that was, and Damien pointed, pointed this out also when I told him the story, when 
he was working for the LA Times as a journalist, he is kind of used to sticking out in a crowd of media folks being a black person. And so when he sees people of color at his panel, I do not see him go up to anybody else and, and yeah. do that. And so, yeah, just like coming to us and being like, cool, I see you. Like that, uh, that was what was the other awesome. big reveal you were leaving out? Uh, oh, the, <laughs> the other reveal. Uh, so Cheo, apparently one of the places he lives, because he is a very busy man, uh, he lives in Seattle. Yeah, he lives here. And what well, was funny, so I actually, he lives here. as we are talking, uh, Cheo was texting me, uh, and we were talking about, because I told him, I was like, I've been trying to get a hold of this guy since last season, and I finally started talking to his people, and I was like, cool, he is going to be in town this weekend, I would love to meet up in person, and they are like, he's really busy, but we can do a phone interview on Monday. And I was like, cool, I will take it. Then on the panel, he says that he lives here, and I was like, man, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. So I was just talking to him, and he was telling me like kind of where he lives in Seattle, and that he is on a plane pretty much every four days. Because he will be oh, wow. here for a couple days, then go to LA, work on stuff, then go other places. So I told him, I was like, I was like, hey, I'm just appreciative that you have the 15 minutes for the phone interview on Monday. So look forward to that on Friday's episode of About to Interview. But yeah, like Tim and I, as soon as he said that, I just look at Tim and I was like, really? He lives there. It was really great. He was great, though. His panel was fun, man. He talked a lot about the musical influence mm-hmm. uh, in Luke Cage and he spoke, uh, sort of broke down that iconic shot of. Mahershala Ali is yeah. cotton mouth uh, in front of the Biggie portrait, which was dope. So you hear him talk about that sequence. And, you know, he asked, you know, a lot of tough questions. You know, fans like to ask little gotcha questions. Like, oh, what if you got to do this that you can't contractually talk about? Right. Can you mention this in front of this panel? And they have to find a nice way to skirt around it. So he did a good job of handling those kind of questions and um, and talking about the show and, and what he plans to do with Luke Cage and addressing some of the criticisms of of season two that people have had so far. So it was good, man. He, he was real cool, real down to earth, man. I didn't realize that he was the first person to interview Biggie and the last person to interview Biggie. I never knew that. Yeah. And like, that is crazy. It, he was one of the first journalists to write about Wu Tang. Yeah. He, yeah. he not only is it legit. I have a lot of, I have a lot Wookie, of for him. but it was like listening to I, his stories about when he was a music journalist. Sheesh. Yeah. Like it was, it was pretty incredible. I know he has some crazy hip hop stories. Oh yeah. Yeah insane like early 90s mob deep story he can probably tell uh yeah so I, i'm excited i just had a i just had a good idea instead of doing a rap battle between yeah. cheo and damien we have unky d's rap stories versus cheo's rap stories so uh it's probably a different it's a different viewpoint it's <laughs> it like is. i'm sure like you know Damien was in the thick of things. Uh, Chael probably was, um, but you know, probably hears a lot of different things uh, because he was a journalist and in stories, and you know, sees a different side of people than what we, you know, what yeah. Damien saw. That would be pretty both, awesome. Yeah, the, yeah, but yeah, I would, I would. I hope you ask him. You know, I'm sure you have some crazy story you can tell, or you know, an artist he would love to see perform on the show, other than the Jizza or um, and DMX. <laughs> You know, when I, when I heard him talking about the show, I, w- I immediately thought about Joey Badass. It's like, Ooh, yeah. like a current artist that would fit the aesthetic For of sure. Luke Cage. Uh, so I immediately thought about Joey Badass. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was fun. Though. Good. So the, those were those were the panels. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Cheo just is like genuinely just he seems like a just nice person, which is 
That's pretty awesome. Uh, cool. So yeah, back to the the rating system of good, bad, or ugly. Good is something you would recommend. Bad is something that you enjoyed a little bit but would not immediately recommend it. Ugly, avoid at all cost. Tim, what do you give Ace Comic Con? It's good, man. It, it, it was good. I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't not have fun. I had fun. It was. It was cool. I mean, you know, it's definitely not a, a lot to do, um, especially you're going to be there from when I was there from like ten to eight on Saturday. Uh, not a ton to do other than stay off your feet. Uh, but the ability to watch a panel from anywhere in the con was great. Uh, the, the fans were fun. The cosplay was great. Uh, the people were nice. I didn't see anything crazy happen. I didn't see you know no fisticuffs. Yeah. Nothing. You know, the lines are long, but line longs are to be expected at a con. So. For sure. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I definitely, I hope they come back. Yeah, uh, I agree. I also give it a good, I think Emerald City Comic Con could learn a few things from a con like this that is still in its infancy. And I also think because it is in its infancy, it will learn a lot from itself and these experiences. So uh, as far as Ace Comic Con, they have a huge track record. They know what they're doing, but everything is a little bit different. Every city is different. Every venue but yeah, I definitely give it a a good. So the link for Ace Comic Con will be in the description. And make sure to follow Garib on social media. He will also be linked below. Uh, all right. So since we're going a little bit long, how about we just do a quick uh, top three Sif movies that we saw. One of mine we still cannot really talk about and review for a while. So, uh, But how about you start with your number three Sif movie of the Seattle International Film Festival 2018? Uh, Blind Spotting. Nice. Is my number three, uh, which is a great movie about uh, Playboy. Uh, David Diggs um, is in it. Raphael, Raphael Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, Janina Gavankar is in it. It's who I love to death. I bet uh, you do. She's fantastic. She's a good actress, man. She is. I love she her. Is. Uh, it's a great story about this guy who's on his last three days of uh, parole and he's trying to make it to his last three days of parole. But he witnesses a police-involved shooting while he's out past curfew, so he can't really say anything about the shooting. Uh, so he's kind of having some PTSD because of that. Oh, yeah. And also just trying to survive his crazy friend and the last 72 hours of his parole. And it's great. It has a very, very great scene with him talking to his parole officer. Oof. Uh, the, guy, the guy at his who runs whatever home he's staying in about him being a felon, which I thought was very good. And then there's the, the final, him and... Uh, Rafael Pascal's character have this big blow-up fight in the parking lot, which is super intense, mm-hmm. but very poignant. And then the backdrop of all of this is gentrification in the Bay Area. It plays like an, a, it's like a character in itself that's happening around these these main characters as they try to you know get through their day. So. Navigate through Oakland. So yeah, I mean, great yeah, film. That, stuff, that is the one that I is also on my list that we will get to, but it is not my my number three. <laughs> so my number three film is Revenge. Oh, God, that was bloody. Uh, yes, it was incredibly bloody, ridiculously bloody, silly bloody. But yep. this was such a solid movie that I just, I enjoyed the madness. I was totally in for yeah. it. Uh, yeah, and I recommended this one to a few people with the caveat. If you could deal with copious... Yeah, man, it ain't for blood. everybody, bro. Like, that's no. the thing. Like, I liked it, but I'm like, man, I, I don't know. There's like a... A, a specific group of people I can recommend this movie to without yeah. them being like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always give them a caveat, but yeah, so revenge is my, my number three. What is your number two? My number two is another bloody movie. Uh, mm-hmm. 
It is called Maria and Maria the Murderer in Four Acts. And it's about this woman. Yeah, it's this Indonesian film. This woman is, her husband has died. So she's by herself living on this plot of land in the middle of nowhere. And this man shows up and he's like, hey, we're going to steal all your cattle and all your food and everything. We're going to take it and we're going to rape you because your husband's dead. And we know that. And no one's here to protect you. So when they show up to assault her, she kills him. Ah, of course. And uh, a couple of guys got away. And so she goes to the police with literally with the guy's head. And it's like, hey, this guy raped me. I'm carrying his head around. Mm-hmm. He cuts his head off. And uh, it's kind of a light comedy, kind of a dark comedy. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. also okay. this, but also this story about this woman who realizes that the system and the principalities involved don't really care to solve this assault. So she ends up having to take on these, the rest of these two guys by herself, uh, also in conjunction with her very, very pregnant friend, uh, who's due any moment. They they both find themselves uh, in a battle with these these two sort of criminal guys. It's a great movie, mm. though. Okay. It, it is a revenge in four acts. It's exactly what it is. Oh, a, mur- a murder in four acts. <laughs> a murder. Okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's a murder in four acts. Uh, cool. And then my number two is your number three, which is blind spotting. Yeah. Super enjoyed this film. This is one that the reason that we cannot talk too much about it and give it an official review is that we are embargoed until like July twenty fifth. Yeah, late July. So it is pretty crazy. That is when it is get it is getting released uh, nationwide. Uh, I had the chance to interview the director, so I will be yeah. releasing that around the same time that it comes out. Really dug this movie. This was one of the most intense movies. I had seen in a long time as far as stressful. There's so many scenes in this movie where you're just waiting for something horrible to go wrong and it keeps you there for an uncomfortable amount of time. But then it pays off and you have these amazing performances, this incredible story and a very poignant story and very topical story so yeah, yeah blind spotting Dix is a star man Oof, he's a, he that, so i walked out of there like man that guy's a star he can he and so is Raphael, man yeah. it's funny I, I i saw him interviewed and i was like yo he's nothing like his character in the movie really like, he's nothing like that dude i gotta Not check it out because the two of bro. them uh david and rafa like yeah they grew up they've been like, friends this, for a long time yeah, yeah this is essentially their story or a story very similar to things that they saw in oakland yeah but that David, man, that dude's a star, man. I hope yep. he gets to be in more stuff, man. He's, he's a talented actor, man. He does a lot of emoting with his face and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of physicality with, with how he moves that tells the story. Like, you know, there's they keep cutting to a sequence in the film where he's jogging through this yeah. cemetery oh. this morning, uh, <laughs> which is dope because it's, it's telling a story without, he doesn't have any dialogue in any of those scenes. Nope. There's no dialogue, but you understand what he's going through as he's running in the morning. Uh, yeah, man. Even that, even even the the scene of the the shooting that happens in the film is mm-hmm. he doesn't have any words. He just sort of reacts to what's happening. Uh, yeah, and I think a lot of that with his performance. This is a stage guy. This is a guy yeah. who, I mean, Hamilton. This is Hamilton. Yeah, this guy was in Hamilton. So I mean, he uh, but he knows how to give those performances. Yeah. That yeah resonates. So yeah. I mean, what makes this movie sound? It's not. It's funny too. Like it, it's, oh, yeah. it's got a serious point, but it's yes. there's. Their friend who has that Uber is hilarious. Oh god, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> that dude's funny. So yeah, they've uh, it's got some real funny stuff. That the 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 beauty shop scene is really funny. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but when it goes if, when it goes intense and when it goes to a meaningful place, it yeah. it works and it resonates. Yeah. So. yeah, and there's little stuff in there that's like little specific stuff that speaks to a larger problem in our mm-hmm. country that I, I I really really appreciate. It. I hope people go out and see it. I think it'll be around during award season for people to to, to talk oh, about. Yeah, I definitely think so. Cool. And then your number one movie of 2018, Sif. Uh, sorry to bother you. Really. Oops. Boots Riley's crazy movie, man. <laughs> crazy, crazy brainchild of a film uh-huh. about a telemarketer who starts to rise up. In the I was like, yeah, sports. try and explain this without spoiling. It's about a guy <laughs> named Cash is Green. Uh-huh. Cash, Cash is Green. Cash is Green uh, has a job as a telemarketer and decides to use his white voice uh Thanks to uh, what's his, who's, who's the, who's um, Danny Glover. Yep, Danny, Danny Glover. Glover is the coworker. Says, "Hey, use your white voice." And so he moves on up, and they literally have like an elevator up for like the power callers. They call them. Which is funny so because just, Omari Hardwick is the boss yeah. who is in the show Power. Yeah, so Omari Hardwick plays this, this boss with one eye, and, which uh, they never explain, which I love. Never explain. And the company is run by Army Hammer, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he starts moving up, and he, he he he's at a crossroad with his girlfriend, played by Tessa Thompson, who plays uh, in Detroit. And she's a bit of an activist, and she's an artist, and has all this performative artwork, mm-hmm. art that she does. And she doesn't like what she thinks their company is doing. Mm-hmm. And um, he's caught in this weird crossroads. And also, uh, uh, what's his name from The Walking Dead? Stephen Wynn. Um, uh, Stephen is there and he's uh he he works in the office as well and he's he's sort of leading this revolt for all of the callers to like to form a union so mm-hmm. they can get health care and stuff so it's all this classism all this sort of race in america stuff and then it takes a completely crazy left turn in uh-huh. the third act uh <laughs> but it's great i like really enjoyed it uh but it, it's completely a completely crazy third act it, it is going to be a movie we talked about divisiveness. This is going to be a yeah. movie that certain people are going to watch this and think it is a comedy or whatever because based on the trailers... It is! It is uh, funny! It is. But then they're going to be... Some people are going to be furious. Yeah. Some people are going to be confused. Some I don't people know if you're furious. I don't know if you're furious. It just, it's just... Because even a lot of... So even up to that point in the film... Not, we're not reviewing the film, obviously. But even up to that point in the film... There's weird stuff. The way the movie plays, it's very oddballish, right? Yes. The the white voice he has when when he's on the calls and you see him physically drop into these homes of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it plays in a way that's completely screwball. But so the nobody, end, nobody the was ready for that third no, act. No, no one's ready for third act. <laughs> but I think it, it it's such a it, the movie's already sort of bonkers that I don't think it's going to drive people off the cliff. I think people either in or out on it. Yes. I don't know if people be furious behind it. I think people either it, much like um, uh, what was that movie we just watched where they go lost, get with Tessa Thompson was gonna get lost in the forest in the woods and then they turn to chose into a tree. What was that uh, movie? Oh, Annihilation. Yep. Much like Annihilation, right? Yep. There's a point in Annihilation when they hit the lighthouse <laughs> where you either in or out. Yep. <laughs> you're either in or out, and uh, this has that same point when it hits the point in the movie you're either in or out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one, and again, we cannot fully review that one yet, because it hasn't yeah, come out yet. But man, I thought it was really a great film, man. Again, again, another movie I think is going to be uh, around for awards season. Um, yeah. Crazy movie. Yeah, definitely crazy movie. Crazy 
Cool. My number one uh, film of Sif and also currently oof, in my top three of the year is Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yeah. Great movie. This movie it now is open nationwide. Yep. I, I cannot encourage people enough to go see this movie. It, we reviewed it a couple episodes ago. Yeah, we re- reviewed it a while ago when we finally could after waiting weeks and weeks. Uh, the interview I did with Morgan Neville dropped. This movie, and I think you even said it on our episode, it makes you want to be a better person. Yeah, it does. Movies can affect people in a bunch of different ways, but for a movie to truly, like, leaving the movie theater and you want to be like, you know what, how would I be a little bit nicer? How would I be a little right. bit more understanding? How would I have yeah. more patience? more love like it just it make this movie is just beautiful and, and it's such a stark contrast from what we're seeing yes. you know constantly in our news feeds every day and you know, on, on social media and some of these crazy stories and you know you have an administration that flat out lies to people yep. and then you have a, a news organization that covers those lies and as if they're truth and it, it's like literally somebody lighting your eyeballs on fire every day <laughs> and then to watch Something where uh, to see this man lived a, a life of truth and, and lived mm-hmm. his truth in, in an honest way and loved people and, and treated people equally and, and cared about people and cared about our, our, our most vulnerable, right? And, yep. and showed them respect and love. So it's 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 jarring when you watch it, and I think that's what draws that emotion out of mm-hmm. people. You're watching it's like, man, I remember this. Like I was watching a clip the other day. I know this is a political show. <laughs> We watched a clip the other day, and it was Obama with a bunch of kids, man. Mm-hmm. It was just these kids in the school, and Obama comes. It wasn't even an event. Obama went to visit some kids from D.C. school, mm-hmm. and they were like happy to see the president. They were happy to see the president and yeah, hang around man. him, and he smiled. And I was like, I couldn't even imagine that happening right now. I like, legitimately mm-hmm. could not fathom it happening without a bunch of child actors. Um, right. It was crazy to watch, and that. That wasn't 20 years ago, man. That was mm-hmm. three years ago. <laughs> yeah. To watch it, and it was just a random clip of like, Obama hanging out with a bunch of kids, and he shows up, and he read some books, and he talked, and he joked with the kids, and it, it was like this this day in the White House, and all these kids coming to visit, and Obama posing and taking pictures, and listen, he's a political dude. I'm clear, I'm sure it's all, some of it's for optics and for politics. I get it, but man, there's something about seeing that that's heartwarming, and to think about where we're at now, and you yeah. know, children being separated from their families, mm-hmm. Um, for whatever reason, uh, it's crazy. And a lot of what I saw in Want You, I never reminded me of a time where, you know, regardless of political parties or ideas on immigration or religion or race and gender, there was a level of decency people had where they, you know, at least in, out, out front, I'm sure we know from our history that behind the scenes people were maniacs, but yeah. at least very front-facing, they put on that face to be decent human beings uh, at least for the sake of children, and it just seems to be missing. And Mr. Rogers reminded that you know we, we still have it and we still need it, and it's, you know it has a place in our society. And I hope at some point we can get back to it. There probably will never be another Mr. Rogers, but yeah. hopefully we, we can do something Mr. Rogers like in your day. Exactly. Day. I mean, just doing, just I mean, it sounds totally cliche and preachy, but just be nice. I mean. <laughs> Be kind to people always. Yeah, and I, it's funny. That's, that 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 was my father, and I was you know after I interviewed uh, Morgan Neville, I was talking about my dad, and I was like, that kind of was always my dad's mantra as a child, and it wasn't just something that he told us. It was something I saw him model every day, yeah. which was 
You treat everybody the same, no matter who you're talking to, the janitor or the president. Yep. You treat them with respect. And I, but I would go out with him to the store, and I would be with him in places even now, and he's that way. And um, this, the benefit it does to people, because you don't have to be fake. You just I'm like this with everybody, so I don't have to. I'm not. You know, we've been in, we're in these spaces where people put on in front of people who they think are important or they think yep. are famous. Uh, it's an act or a show or a mask or some sort of charade that they do. Because it thinks that it, it somehow will give them some sort of traction in this person's life. But if you treat everyone the same, then it's fine. I remember when I, I said that I interviewed, uh, what's his face? Um, uh, Makai Pfeiffer. Mm. And we were just having a regular conversation that then spun into this interview we did. But it was just, a reg- it was just me and a, another dude sitting in front of this fireplace in the hotel just chat- just chopping it up about all kind of random stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Well, we ended up talking about the movie he was in and, and what was happening, but um, I'm so reminded of my father in those moments just to talk to people like I talk to, like I would talk to you or, or Damien or Jessica or, or Aaron or whoever, right? Just have those conversations and treat them as normal people and you're not going to, it's not going to be weird for you. I, I still get nervous. Of course. I still, I still get the butterflies. Um, well, like but when I, I mean, same with like when I went to interview Morgan after seeing his film twice. Yeah. And I was like, this film is beautiful. This director has already won an Oscar. I am pretty sure he is going to win an Oscar again. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, sure. but at the a same lot. time, like, he, he is just a person. I'm a person. <laughs> and we're going to talk about an amazing person in Mr. Rogers. Right. And right. so just the, the myth, the messages of that movie, the timeliness right. of this movie. It just, yeah. It, so, yeah, it is my number one movie of Sif. And... It's great. It almost made my number one, but I knew you were going to say it, so I left it off the list. Oh, thanks, man. Legitimately. <laughs> it, it's, in, it's, it's one of the best movies I've seen this year. Yeah, hands down. Gonna make, it's, I don't know how it doesn't make my top ten list. I don't know what movie beats it. We're seeing uh, a, mo- a documentary tomorrow mm-hmm. that I heard is very good. I still don't know what, what it's going to do to beat it, but I heard it's also very well done. So Yeah, can we, um, can we talk about Well, we will talk about that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll figure that out. But, yeah. uh, Fair enough. Uh, the, the more the more good movies, the better, man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, anything anything better than Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom? I'm, I'm absolutely. Cool. That's gonna be a movie people forgot that they watched. <laughs> oh yeah. Come November, but oh yeah, that is, it'll be like they'll be ranking lists for the you know how we all do. Oh, it, these murmurs before our screenings and and, and and these text messages and on Twitter is like who's working on their top ten list. Yep. If you're Brian Zilzman, you're probably talking about your top 25 for the last 25 years. He, Sarah does her crazy. top 100 every yeah. year. He's crazy. Brian and Sarah are both crazy with their list. Yeah. Uh, and Brian, and Brian Tybel does list like every other week. But for I love that about Tybel because it is consistent. It's, it's great. I love it. I, I, I'm always wondering how like what list he's going to do next. But the, one of the things that we talk about is movies, and I think Jurassic World will come up as a movie that we've all forgotten we watched. Yep. But oh yeah, that did come out, and it's gonna make my poop list. <laughs> well, when people will, make, I think when people think about list. it, they're gonna be like, "Wait, the one from a couple years ago?" It's like, no. no, there was one this year. No, there was one this year, and it was a poop trifecta. Yep. Terrible ending, stupid twist, dumb human human being. Cool, cool dinosaurs though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know. I was saying the other day, I thought the the new dinosaur of those who don't know is called the Indoraptor. Indominus Rex? No, oh, the oh, Indoraptor. Yeah. yeah, the, the Indoraptor. Indominus yeah, Rex is the old one. Yeah. It's the Indoraptor. I forgot because they also, used... Yeah, okay. I thought it would be a, a cool name for a, a strand of weed. Indoraptor? Indoraptor? Oh, for sure. Who wouldn't smoke that? 
Dude, give it to you some... go. You go to your weed supplier, and there's a weed that's green and ye- yellow, hint, and it's called Indoraptor. You're not smoking that. Who's people who like that? Sounds like it's gonna get me really high. I'll probably smoke it. Bro, we live Indoraptor. in Seattle. You, I yeah. guarantee, most people who live in Seattle live within about a mile of a dispensary. Yeah, you man, that Indoraptor. One of them, I'm sure you can make it happen. The Indoraptor, man. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, you, cool. So that was our, our stiff. Uh, if you stoned age out here, I like it. Nice. Uh, so our top three Sif movies. Uh, so to kind of wrap everything up. So Ace, solid first year here in Seattle. Uh, I know that people had some issues, and some of those were more valid than others. But I really enjoyed it. Tim enjoyed it. They had some great panels. Uh, yeah. It was just it was a, it was a solid year. Uh, and then Sif, we went through our top three movies of Sif. All of those will be linked in the show notes. Below, again, two of those, sorry to bother you, and blind spotting. We have to wait uh-huh. to give a full review uh, until it gets released. Yeah. So that, that will be interesting. Uh, as for mm. next week's episode and the upcoming uh, movies, so we are seeing a bunch this week, some which we cannot, like, we actually cannot say what we we're to, seeing. We don't have to talk about what we're seeing. We're just seeing a bunch. Yeah, seeing a bunch. Uh, seeing a bunch next week. So it uh, should be really cool. So and then Tim where and John's can... watching Five Hundred Days of Summer this week. That's that's happening. Sorry, uh, Skype was cutting out. <laughs> going through a Why? tunnel. Listen, John. Listen, <laughs> we both watch a bunch of movies. Yes, we do. And we do this because we love it. Yes. Am I am I am I speaking out of turn? Am I wrong here? No, not at all. This is a movie you're gonna love. Oh, that is strong. It's a movie you're gonna love. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not even joking. Okay. I've known you for years. This is a movie. It's not what you think it is. I loved your ridiculous description of it. <laughs> uh, uh, so we're going to be doing John describes movies he's never seen before. Um, can we do it with shows too? Because I want you to describe the plot of Atlanta. Oh, okay. think Atlanta, there it think is. happens in Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> but Atlanta, at least, like I legitimately know more about that because I read What do you think Atlanta's it? about? What do you think no, it's about? No, no, we're not doing this right now. <laughs> the episode is already too <laughs> what long. Nope. Okay, I want Tim. Jen, I want Jessica and Damien to hear you describe <laughs> what you think Atlanta's about. Tim, where can people find you on social media? Find me at thepeoplescriticblog.com. Uh, the People's Critic on Instagram and Twitter. I posted some stuff from um, from uh, it's Comic Con. I did a brief review of the con with some photos and some Instagram posts, uh, some links to some of the pe- stuff that we talked about briefly uh, that we recapped today, and I got some bunch of reviews next week. Um, still have two interviews to post from Sith. Three, actually, the Booth Riley one, uh, the one for Blind Spotting, and one for another movie which I totally spaced on. Uh, but the interview was fun, man, because uh, the producer, the guy directed this movie, is producing the the um, Mister Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. Oh yeah, I'm yeah. really about that. And after the I was like, what? I'm not gonna fade out in your face, but mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's about it, man. Um whole lot of fun stuff man just trying to go out and uh be courteous to people man that's it be a good person sounds good uh and as for this podcast you can follow it on social media at about to review facebook twitter and instagram also on facebook you can leave a review which is always helpful uh just yeah it gives more uh not meaning that sounds weird but yeah it is it is just nice I, i like hearing people but the main thing that i like is when people are listening to the episode and they're hitting us up on Twitter. So when you do that, uh, make sure to tag myself and Tim. Because, uh, yeah, people live tweet as they're listening. And I love it. Like, it really makes me feel good because people actually are listening and 
caring about what we say. So I like that. Uh, you can also go to abouttoreview.com for full links to the show notes and guests. Vote for the podcast for the Renton City Comic Con Geek Awards. And yeah. I think I'm actually going to be up for another award uh, for the podcast what? awards. Uh, I have to submit my stuff for it, but I will give more info about that later because I do not know much about it right now. Uh, and yeah, new episodes are released every Wednesday. This Friday, I mentioned it earlier, there will be an interview with Cheo Hadari Coker, the showrunner and creator of Marvel's Luke Cage for Netflix. Uh, yeah. So that is going to be great. I, I really wanted to do it in person because I much prefer those, but hey, I got an interview with Cheo, which I have wanted for over a year. And real quick, I talk I talk about this all the time, and Tim and I oh, actually no. both talk about it. Oh god. What you put out in the universe, what you want. And at some point you might get that opportunity. When season one of Luke Cage was first starting, like weeks before it started, I hit up Cheo on Twitter and I was like, Hey, it would be good to interview you about your show. Ghosted. Yeah. No contact. And I was like, Okay, fine, he is busy. This year, before the show started, I hit him up again, and I was like, hey, man, it would be great to have you on the show, talk about it, and he hits me back, and he was like, cool, no problem, hit up my assistant, started emailing with her, working it out, and now I get the chance to interview him. All so all I have to do is can... keep saying that I'm going to marry Tessa Thompson, it's just going to magically happen? <laughs> but is that it? Is that, is that what you're telling hey, me? Keep, hey, just keep putting it out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, so listeners, man, put, put my prayer out there. If you, if you believe it, we're yep. gonna we're gonna just compete and put it out in the universe. Yep. Uh. So yeah, just we'll and it sounds cliche also, but just be positive. Like we talked about with Mister Rogers, if you want something and if you're working towards something, put it out there. Put it out there in the universe and continue to work towards it. And those opportunities will present themselves. So yeah, uh, sure. yeah. So that will be this Friday. It will be on YouTube and also the podcast feed. Uh, thank you to Garib for making the time at Ace Comic Con. Thank you for the staff and all the vendors who are really nice. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was a solid experience. Thank you also to Damien for creating the original theme song and for being the post-production and editing. He does all that as well because he is fantastic. Uh, so for this episode of the About to Review podcast, I have been joined by... Uh, Tim, the people's critic. And I have been your host, that guy named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.